Amen. Well, guys, grab a Bible. Uh, We are in the book of Acts tonight, Acts chapter 21. So Wednesday night, our goal is to make our way through the Bible at a little bit faster pace, usually about a chapter, sometimes half a chapter in the evening. Uh, We're going to do that. We're going to aim to do a chapter tonight, but it's a little bit different because we did half a chapter last week. So we're joining in the middle of a chapter, and then we're going to try to make it into the middle of the next chapter. But in some ways, I think it just lays out a little bit more logically that way. There's just kind of an odd break in the chapter that you might see tonight if, if God gives us strength in that. Again, the aim of that isn't to cover every detail, but to kind of give us that bird's eye view and help us to feel some of the, the things that are happening there. We're hoping that you sense that with us tonight, and God, in His favor, would make His Word just known to you. So Bible's open uh, here. If you need a Bible, they're there in front of you in the chairs. Uh, if you're wanting to join us, we, if you're joining us online or in the overflow, we invite you to have a Bible, that you would open it with us and that God would speak to you through his word. So let's take a moment and ask him to do that. Just ask him to help us understand what he has for us to understand this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving exactly what we needed. Thank you for the power that is contained in your living word. Open up our understanding and then speak to us as your kids tonight. Lord, that you would help us to know what we needed to hear and that it would work good in us, that you would work that good that you're seeking to work in our lives now, changing us, transforming us in that beautiful sanctification that you work by your spirit, by your word. Here we are. Lord, do a good work tonight, a good work in us, and and just continue your good faithfulness in that. We ask that you would just help us to hear what you have for us. We pray for that now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the book of Acts is a unique book. It's a book that highlights history in many ways, the the connection between the Gospels that account for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then the epistles that unpack truth. And we have this one book that kind of just lays there and helps us feel uh, the things that are happening. And yet if there is a theme to it, if there's a a point to it, it is in so many ways what we've titled uh, our, our going through this, what Jesus is continuing to do through the Holy Spirit, and through his church. That it is this picture of what Christ is doing. It really begins that way out there as it starts in Acts chapter 1 and helps us understand that this is what Jesus is doing to take the message of the gospel, the hope of life, to the world. And so tonight we want you to feel that. I mean, there is details we'll cover in the midst of it. There are things there. But we want to look at an example of how that's taking place, how Paul is going to step into the city of Jerusalem, just hardly believing that this is where God has called him, and, and how that's going to move in a way to deliver a message, to, to bring uh, what he's longing to do there. And I want you to follow it, partly for the story. It's a great story. Uh, it's a great account of, of what's happening, and there's going to be help in just seeing it. But there's a part of it that's for us, that is, in some senses, we can see how that takes place and encouragements for how it can happen, should happen uh, through us, how that space of sharing Christ, of, of seeing Jesus known through our lives that God would long for us to have happen. So we join this right in the midst of it when Paul makes his way there to Jerusalem. Notice there in verse 15, chapter 21, it says, And after those days we packed and went up 
to Jerusalem. They arrive, again, just longing to communicate help, longing to communicate what God is doing, but to do so in a good way. And what Paul does at this moment is simple and yet profound. He just unpacks. He just talks about all that God has been doing. Division is rising. There's confusion there in the city of Jerusalem about Gentiles being saved, about God's doing in the rest of the world. And so Paul steps into this to help them understand it. And it's interesting just to notice how it happens. Verse 16 says it this way, And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain disciple, Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. Hey, by the way, just a little fun little nugget. That's just fun to think it through. Like an early disciple. Yeah, we're probably already 30 years into the, the days of the church, 25, 30 years, somewhere in that space. And uh, somehow they've already got a designation. Like this is one of the guys that was saved a decade or two ago. Like he's one of the earlier converts and God is continuing to move in, 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 a, in an incredible way there. And, they, and he is. Well, they come and they're going to stay with him. Verse 17, it says, And when we come to Jerusalem, the brethren, that is, brethren in Christ, other followers of Jesus, received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders who were present. And when he greeted them, he told them in detail the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Hey, pause there. It's just a fun scene. So he gets there and he, and he gathers together with the leaders. It is interesting to notice that James has kind of stepped into a role of leadership. We saw that back in chapter 15, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, the one who writes uh, the epistle of James, has in many ways kind of stepped into a, a role that is both just acknowledging him and, and just what God is doing there. So they come and they just begin to wanting to, to show what God is doing, to kind of step into this place of communicating help. And it's just worth noting, again, how he did it. Tells us there in verse 19, when he greeted them, he told in detail the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. The wording in detail is, is a pretty expressive sentence that literally has the idea that he he didn't just, you know, gloss over it. He went through and just explained piece by piece in detail, in, in, in good explanation. And it's worth noting what God was doing in the Gentiles. It's just a good example. I mean, in one sense, at this moment, Paul doesn't come in here and say, hey, let me tell you what I'm thinking. Here's my opinions. Here's, here's my thoughts on, on the whole issue. Kind of let me. He says, I just want to tell you what God's doing. I just want to tell you what God is doing. I just want to tell you what, I, what I've been seeing. And can I just take a moment again to encourage you, because that's, again, part of this space. If you want to be a part of seeing Jesus work in our city and work through your life, this is a good example. You should be one who notices and then gets to just tell, can I just tell you things God's doing? Can I tell you things uh, that, that, that are happening, not just in a, you know, people kind of ask, like, how you doing? How, how's church going? Good? Cool? It's fine? You know, it's like, well, I mean, there's just not, it's like, hey, I'm going to tell you what God's doing. I'm going to tell you some cool things that I've seen. I want to tell you accounts of what God has done. There's something there. Not that we are seeking to, you know, kind of talk our own game up and talk about who we are. Paul's not doing that. He says, I want to tell you what God's been doing. 
I'm just going to tell you some things that I've seen. I want to tell you what he's done. And that's just a good picture for us. The funny thing is that we actually do this in other ways. Whatever you're really excited about, you talk about. Uh, if you're excited about a sports team, if you're excited about uh, the weather, if you're excited about anything, and somebody just happens to kind of, you know, bring that up, you're like, tag me, tag me, you know, like, I want to tell you, it's like, it should be that way about God. I mean, it should be that kind of thing that, you know, you kind of, someone just gives you an open, it's like, hey, can I tell you what God is doing? Can I tell you some fun things that I've seen and see in my life or in other people's lives? It's just fun to, to watch what God has done. I, it's just a good way, very natural way that it could at least begin that way. And I just want to encourage it right now that you should be one who is able to do that because that's what Paul does. And, and people receive it well. They, they hear it. They're excited. They glorify God. And, and it's just a good space of communicating that, seeking to bring help. But then Paul does something interesting or kind of draws them into a, a space. And I'll kind of put it this way. He's going to speak their language. And that might make sense all by itself where we're going to go with that. We'll talk more about that. But let's read through what happens in this section. We'll talk about a few of the details in it. Uh, but then again, try to be practical and hopefully helpful. So they hear everything that God's doing among the Gentiles. Middle of verse 20. And then they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews... There are who have believed, and they are zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are out among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. Uh, We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and, and that they may know that those things which were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and, and keep the law. But concerning Gentiles who believe we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual morality, then Paul took the men. And the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Okay, so let's kind of talk about this just for a moment. One of the things that we just gaze into this right off the bat is that Paul is participating in uh, an Old Testament uh, just sacrifice an Old Testament Nazarite vow, most likely from the reading of it, from the shaving of the head, from the different things that would be there. And he begins to participate in this. And this reminds us of a few things, things that we've already talked about. Uh, We spent some time in this in Acts 15, but let me just quickly walk you through some of the details. So Jesus has died. I mean, he's died on the cross. He's been resurrected. People got saved there in Jerusalem. And for about the first 30 years of church history, Jews who believed in Jesus, believed in Jesus, saw him as, the, as their salvation, saw him as everything, but they still were participating in the Jewish world. They still went to the temple. Uh, they still went through a lot of the uh, just offerings and participated in, in much of the, uh, of the life that God had prescribed 
for the Jewish people. And we find that God kind of looks at that with favor. They, they dealt with this back in Acts 15 and said, hey, we recognize that Gentiles are getting saved. They don't need to do this, but Jews are, I mean, this, we have this heritage. This is who we are. And that is spoken with honor in that moment in a space that there was not anything uh, unbiblical or wrong that they did so. In fact, if you could chew this with me for a quick moment, it's one of those places that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, in part because most of us aren't Jews, uh, we're Gentiles, and a part of it is like, okay, well, I mean, it, to participate in that, would that be somehow um, degrading or not acknowledging the fullness of Christ? Lots of stuff in that. We don't have enough details to how they were doing it. We do know this, the, the Bible is really clear, Christ is the end. He's the end of, of everything else that would bring us to God. The Hebrews would unpack for us that, that no longer do we look for sacrifices to do that. And so for a Jew in those days, that's not what they're doing, but they're still participating in that. And Paul himself is doing that. Uh, he has already done this. We've seen him uh, participate in several other kind of offerings and sacrifices. And so he steps towards this. And in this moment, he is going to participate in this you know, Old Testament ritual of, of a Nazarite vow, and I want to kind of just say this as carefully as I can. I don't think there's anything, there's not anything, the Bible doesn't lay that as a, as a bad thing or a problematic thing, yet it raises a bunch of questions for us. Again, for a couple of you here this evening, you're just, you're, your brain is already like, spur, you know, kind of spinning, and I want to just kind of speak to that for a quick moment and say, boy, there's some interesting things in this. I mean, trying to figure out how that works, how you would you know, hold to the fullness of the merit and the sacrifice of Christ and still be a part of that. But can we just talk practically for a moment? Um, there's really no practical, you know, good answer to you spending a bunch of time on that. I mean, you're not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. I mean, if you are Jewish, there's no temple. There's no space. You're never going to have to deal with, okay, should I be involved? Should I go do a Nazarite vow? Should I go shave my head? And no, you're never, that's never going to be something practically that you uh, need to walk in. There are things that can, can process in the midst of it, there are things that you could think through, but in a practical way, it's not going to leave us uh, this evening greatly helped. So I'm going to stop uh, you know, some of my quick exploration of that with enough to say, yeah, there's not it. That what's happening there in Jerusalem, what's happening in this moment, it's a good expression of the body of Christ. Uh, it's not something that the Bible holds as a bad expression. Uh, it's a good thing that even Paul does at this moment. But for you and I, there's a practical uh, space for us to think this through. And that's what I want to speak to just for a moment, is that what Paul is doing is he's doing everything he can to both preserve the unity and the spirit of the body of Christ. He's seeking to want to be a good example for the gospel uh, into his city there. And, and the key for me is this is one of the great examples uh, that for the gospel's sake, we seek to speak to others in their language, in, in a way they can understand. Paul would say it this way. He'd explain uh, his mode of operation uh, in 1 Corinthians he says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. He says, I am free. In Christ, I am free. I'm free from uh, the bondage that's there. I'm free. I, I, I don't have to do this. Uh, I'm not, you know, under some kind of bondage that this is required of me, but I, I, I make myself a servant. I, I put myself in a place that says, I want to help other people 
know Jesus. And so he says, here's what I do. To the Jews, I become a Jew. You know, if I'm trying to win a Jew, I'm going to speak in their language. I'm going to step into it. I'm not going to attack their traditions. I'm not going to attack what they are. I'm going to step towards that in a way because I want to win Jews. To those who are under the law, I'm going to speak to them as under the law, like the law is there, and we're going to talk about Christ in the midst of that because I want to win those. I want to win people who find themselves in that space. But to those who are without the law, who, who aren't there, Gentiles like most of us here, he says, then I'm going to speak as without the law. Uh, not without the law towards God, but under the law towards Christ. So he says, you know, I'm under, you know, under his authority. There are things that, the moral law, the things that are there of Christ, I don't, I don't go there, but I'm not stepping towards that, trying to present that to people who don't know Jesus. I, I want to win those who aren't in that space, that aren't in that whole place. He says, here's what I do. Even to the weak, I become as weak, that I might win the weak I have become. All things to all men, that I might by, the, by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a, a partaker of it with you. It's a profound understanding. I mean, it's a profound thing to kind of gaze into Paul's heart and try to hear what he's saying. Once more, not in any way that's manipulative, not in any way that's deceptive, but in a way that says, I want to see people come to know Jesus. I'm like so excited about it, Paul says. So he says, here's what I do. You know, if I, whoever I'm kind of presenting it to, I'm a step towards them. I'm a step towards them in a way and I'm gonna communicate uh, where they are. I'm gonna step towards them and, and do everything I can to make non-essentials not the issue, to make things that would be distracting uh, not the issue because I wanna see people come to know Jesus. That's a profound, again, kind of passion, and that's what Paul's doing here as he gets to Jerusalem. He's going to behave in a way that isn't the way he behaved when he was in Galatia. He's going to say, okay, I'm here with Jews, and so, boy, there's going to be, there's going to be this sacrifice, and so they're like, hey, we, we know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to hear you here coming, Paul, and so James and the other guy says, you know, you ought to kind of just show, because everybody is being told that you are out there bad-mouthing the Jewish traditions. You are out there, uh, you know, dismissing uh, the things that the Bible unpacks. And again, he kind of quickly walks through the Acts 15 uh, decision that they, you know, again, had come to and said, no, Gentiles don't have to become Jews. That's not what we're saying, but Jews are Jews. Uh, you know, you're still kind of in the midst of that. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything I can to do that. And it's worth just noticing that. It's worth just noticing that heart and the exact way that Paul does this, well, once more, you're never going to have to do. There is no temple. There is no space of this. But this heart can be yours. It's probably rare. Uh, maybe, maybe you are. Maybe you are this person, and I'm just talking to you tonight. Like, Jim, I try. I mean, I really do. Um, it's actually more rare today than we'd like it to be. Um, those who do these kinds of statistics sometimes will note that sometimes the most successful people uh, in sharing the gospel uh, are new believers uh, because they still know how to speak the language. I mean, they still know where people are, you know, that they still kind of like, you know, they know what people are going through. And it's a weird thing that the longer we become followers of Jesus, sometimes the more difficult it is. And one of the things that happens is we just, 
We don't speak the language any longer. We speak, you know, what some have called, you know, Christianese. We, we have this whole vocabulary and, and thought, you know, uh, of communicating things that the average person out there is like, what? You know, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're, you're talking about, you know, being cleansed and washed in the blood and, you know, sanctified. And I don't even know what, you're, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And there is a space where you could say, hey, I'm not going to ever, you know, lessen my, what it is, but I'm going to step into it and say, I want to I recognize where you are. I want to hear what you are. And, and I want to try to communicate this in a way that does everything I can to bring it to your level that does everything I can to, to do that. And, and that, would, that would be situation specific. I mean, that you would say, okay, I know, where the, I know what you're struggling with. And so I just want, not that I'm gonna be plastic, I'm not being pretend, I'm just saying, I wanna talk to you about Jesus. I wanna talk to you about him in, in a way that doesn't distract from that. I think about it, it's been one of those things that ha- has affected the gospel, um, but it might be helpful to even think about it this way. Um, missions has been a big part of this. So one of the things that's happened in, in the history of missions is that for a whole season, you know, 16, 17, 1800s, it was really common, you know, missionaries that went out kind of went out and, and preached the gospel so very often in the same way their culture did it. So if you had like a, a, an English or a Scottish, uh, you know, missionary that went out, you know, they went out into wherever they went and they pretty much planted a Scottish or English church. They did church that way. So you get somebody like Hudson Taylor who comes along and he gets this passion to go to, to India. And, and he gets there and he decides to do something entirely different. He says, you know what? I'm gonna dress like an Indian. I, you know, they shave their heads, I'm gonna shave my head. I, you know, I'm not here to present European culture. I'm not here to present how we do things. I wanna present Christ. And so he did everything he could uh, to step into a space uh, that would say, you know, I want to help you see Jesus through that lens is radical, changed so many things in China, and and missions kind of struggled with that, and even to this day kind of struggle with that in different places, where some would say, okay, we're going into a culture not to try to make them Americans, uh, not to try to make them do church the way we do, but to step into that culture where they are. And step into what they're doing. And there's a beautiful space when that becomes a sacrifice. When that becomes saying, you know what? It's not the way I do it. It's not the way I would like to think. But, you know, I know that's where you are. So let's, let me talk about Jesus in that. And, you know, so, yeah, I'm going to, you know, for Hudson Taylor, he ate the food they ate. He, you know, you know never in a sinful way. Never in a way that was, uh, you know, deceptive or anything. But just said, I'm, just, I'm doing everything I can to bring Christ to your level. To, to bring that to a space. And it's just worth the encouragement. Sometimes uh, people that we want to know Jesus uh, aren't listening to us, not because they're actually not interested, they just have no idea what we're saying. Uh, they have no idea, you know, because we, we haven't taken the time to, to understand where they are and, and, and say, okay, let me kind of bring this where you are. Let's, let's talk about it in a way that, that would be there. And so Paul is very intentionally doing this. Like he has, he has thought this through and says, you know, I don't have to. I'm not under bondage to do it, but I, want, I love people. And so I'm going to do that. So he does that here. He gets there to Jerusalem. He joins these other four guys. They're going to shave their heads. He takes them there in verse 26. Uh, they, he's purified with them, uh, announces the day of purification. He's doing all of this for the gospel's sake. Uh, 
it's an incredible space and again worthy of our understanding and thinking there's a good example that hey that's a great way to do that and may God teach us how to do that at least have that heart this is I want to be understood I want Christ to be understood uh, to those that I get a chance to speak to well he's there and then it goes radically wrong uh, you may know the story but let's read through what takes place says, when the seven days were almost ended, so they're right in the middle of their days of purification, Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, laid hands on him. So, I mean, it just all of a sudden explodes. People who, who were in the region where he was, in, in the Gentile region, they've come and they're like, oh, you're the problem. And they explode. They begin crying out in verse 28, men of Israel, help this man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has brought Greeks into the temple, and he's defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So they bring us attack. Hey, he's attacking the law. He's attacking the people. He's attacking this place. And they make this assumption that Paul has even brought a Gentile into the temple. Without spending a bunch of time on it, that's like a no-go. I mean, that's huge. I mean, uh, the Jews had in their temples places where, you know, this far, you know, Gentiles could go, this far women could go, and they had a sign literally on there, like any Gentile that crosses this line, yeah, you forfeit your life. Uh, that's kind of my, my version of it, but that's what it's saying. And even Rome had kind of said, you know what, this is not something we're going to argue with. Like, I mean, if that happened, that was just normal. Uh, so, but they just said, you know what, Paul's a Gentile lover, so he probably brought a Gentile into the temple. Paul didn't. Uh, it, it, they make that attack against him. It's an unfounded attack. Uh, he didn't kind of, you know, try to, you know, throw that into their face, but they throw that up there, and it explodes. All the city, it says in verse 30, were disturbed. People ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, then news came to the commander of the garrison, the Roman garrison, that all Jerusalem was in uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw uh, that the commander of the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul, but they had been beating him. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked him who he was and what he had done. When some among the multitude cried out one thing and some another, so when he could not ascertain uh, the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, uh, he, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. And the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, uh, away with him. Unfounded, unjust, unfair, persecution, riotous in many ways, just that it's pulling up there. Hey, that's exactly what's happening in this moment. I mean, this has gone badly in a moment, and it's not fair. Paul didn't do it. He's not attacked the law. He's not attacked that for the Jews. He's not brought in the Gentile. Everything they're saying is wrong. But that's exactly what Jesus told us we'd face, right? I mean, we could spend time on it, but just quickly just saying, Jesus told us, hey, that's what you're gonna get. Uh, you know, he says, in me, you're gonna have peace in the world. It's going to be persecution. Uh, it, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna face trouble. And he told the, us, as he told his disciples, hey, don't think they're going to treat you better than they treated me. I mean, if you're going to be a follower of me, what do you think? I mean, you, you think that the world's going to treat you fair. You think that they're going to you know, give you some kind of, you know, it's not, that's not how it's going to work. 
Like this is what you're in a world that is dominated by the enemy, dominated by Satan. So you're going to face opposition. Promise to us. In fact, the Bible's really clear. All those who you know, seek to walk holy in Christ will suffer persecution. Like that's promised to us. So it's exactly happening. That's understood by Paul. But it's actually interesting because Paul didn't just know that as a theory, as a, hey, that might happen. God had actually been strengthening him for this. If you've been with us in the previous section, Paul had been hearing that. Back in Acts 20, he, he, he just said, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await me. Like, I'm going to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit's telling me when I get there, it's going to go badly for me. Like, I'm going to get put in chains, which he literally is in chains. I mean, I'm wondering if, if Paul's right there is the, you know, chain between two soldiers being carried out of it. It's like, okay, that's, that's kind of what, what I was expecting. I mean, this is kind of what I thought it would happen. In fact, uh, he, Agabus had come down in chapter 21, and he had taken Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Paul knew this was coming. I mean, that's just interesting to think it through, that in one sense, he knew things were going to go badly. And I find that just interesting. I wonder, and again, it's just a wonder. I wonder how that helped in this moment. I wonder how is this explodes badly and Paul is beaten. I mean, beaten so badly they have to carry him. He's chained between two soldiers. I wonder how, how much what the Holy Spirit had been giving to him has strengthened him for this moment. Again, it's just a guess. It's kind of wondering. But I will say this. I think it did. And without spending much time on it, I just want to tell you God loves you enough to do the same for you. He prepares you for things that are coming. Sometimes just principally, I don't want to give you into fear because some of you are like, I knew what you were saying. I was like, I'm so afraid. No, don't give into that. I just want to tell you, sometimes God just strengthens you and then you find like, okay, that's why it's, yeah, thank you for that. You know, just reminding me that you would never leave me, reminding you're always with me. Whatever it is, God does things to buttress up our soul, to, to give strength. And, 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 and I have to believe that's going to work good in our life if we'll allow it to happen. So the question for us is, okay, this is not surprising. I mean, Paul is facing the exact things that the Holy Spirit said would happen. How'd that work out for Paul? Like, what did, what, what did that do for him? Well, one of the interesting things, and maybe he would have done it anyway, one of the interesting things is even though it's going so incredibly badly, he seeks for an opportunity. He seeks and even seeks to create an opportunity to share the gospel. Go and watch it again. So he's, he's beaten. I mean, he's beaten so bad, they're having to carry him because he can't do it himself. Uh, again, verse 35, when they'd reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence. I mean, he's, he's been beaten up. It's going badly. Verse 37, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? Uh, obviously speaking Greek so that the Roman soldier can understand. He says, well, can you, can you speak Greek? He says, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, uh, permit me to speak to the people. I mean, he just approaches the guy, and the guy's like, wait, are you, like, there, there was this other man who had had about 4,000 people again who had led this, uh, kind of just seeking to overthrow Rome at that point in time. They'd been wiped out. 
Josephus even mentions this in his historical record. I mean, they were slaughtered by the Romans, but the man who organized it escaped. And so they're like, are you that guy? Are you the troublemaker? He's like, no, I'm not. It's not me. I'm a man of, I'm here from Tarsus. I'm a Jew. And no means, I'm just asking you, would you let me talk? Um, would you give me an opportunity to talk to my people? Would you, would, you, would, you, would you let me speak right now to all those that are there? Well, verse 40, he given him permission. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, by the way, this is where you can kind of notice, we didn't, it's not even a, not even a period because the sentence moves between chapter 21 and 22, so that's why we're continuing this this evening. But he speaks out to him in Hebrew. He says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they had heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. It's just again worth noting. Paul is so wanting to communicate the gospel that he seeks even creates this opportunity. This was not one that was handed to him on a platter. This was not one of those places, like, of course this is a place where you should talk about Jesus. It's crazy that he does. I mean, in one sense, he is so badly beaten up. There's such a riot in the midst of this, but maybe because he knew it was coming, he's ready for it, and he says, I just want to speak to that. You know, and there's something about that that is just worth thinking through. Opportunities to share Jesus sometimes are handed to us. I mean, sometimes it's just like laid right there. You're like, well, who could do anything but? You know, like someone like, you know, you have the, you know, Ethiopian eunuch and he's like, well, you know, who's this guy talking about? You're like, okay. You know, it's like, you know, there's sometimes it's just that clear. But sometimes really opportunities have to be created. I think about that old adage that says, you know, so many people miss opportunities because it comes, you know, dressed in overalls and looks like work. You know, it's like, well, it's like sometimes people miss opportunities to share the gospel because it sometimes takes creating that space where you look into something and say, can I, would you let me, please let me speak. Give me this opportunity. And again, I just like it. I'm just kind of talking to you as much as I'm talking to me, maybe more to me. Like, I want to have that heart. I want to have a heart that looks for a space and says, could I talk there? Would you let me tell you about Jesus? Would you give me that space uh, that I could do that? That would be a very good space for us that we would look for, that we'd look to create those opportunities. That's exactly what Paul has done, and they give him a hearing. I mean, this whole crowd quiets down. I mean, this riot silences as they hear him uh, begin to speak in the Hebrew language, and then he just begins to share. And what he does is, again, just worth noting. He shares his story. We're going to go through it rather ri- rapidly for time's sake, but it's the second time. We already have seen Paul's testimony back in Acts 9. We're going to see it again. He's going to share his story uh, again uh, in, in two more chapters, sharing just the account of his salvation, sharing how he, what God did in his life to bring him uh, to know Jesus. And so most of you know the story. I mean, it's, it's unique for Paul. But it's worth you thinking through this, and we'll come back and talk about it in a moment, but you have a story. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story, and in some ways, it's just good to see the simplicity. What's the story? Well, it begins with just highlighting what it was like before Christ, the person that you, where you were before that, and again, Paul seeks to not only share that, but share it in a way that's connecting with those he's talking to. He says in verse 3, 
I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all here today. It's like, here I am. I was, I'm just like you guys. I was a Jew. I was, I was just where you were. I was just where you were. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest bears with me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I received letters to bring brethren who went and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there into Jerusalem to be punished. He says, guys, I understand what you're doing. I understand where you are. I was just like you. Same space. I resisted this. I, I resisted Christ. I, 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 I fought this so much so that I persecuted people here. I even went to other cities to bring people here. And you almost have to feel a little bit of the irony, by the way, because now he's the one who's bound in chains in Jerusalem. He's like, I used to do this to people. I used to bring them bound in chains, and here I am in chains. Here I am here. Uh, in some ways, there's even some significant overlays into Stephen's death that Paul was a part of, that much of what Stephen was accused of, Paul's accused of. But he's like, as I understand. I understand where you are. I understand what you're facing. I was just like that. It's a good, it's a good space. It's a good space, not in any way creating anything falsely, but he's identifying. He's, again, helping, trying to say, I understand you. Understand where you are, just like that. And he, and he connects it in a beautiful way, tells his story, tells the things that were a part of, tells his past uh, before Christ got a hold of him, and then shares how that all changed, how Christ got a hold of his life. Tells us there in verse 6, he says, Now it happened. As I journeyed, I came near Damascus about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And they answered, uh, who are you, Lord? <laughs> and he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. All those who were with me, Paul says, indeed, they saw the light, they were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. I mean, this is an incredible encounter that Paul has. I mean, and this is his salvation experience where literally getting this vision of Christ. And you guys know the story. It's encountered before us back in Acts 9. Again, and, and Paul responds. He responds with a surrender. What shall I do, Lord? I mean, you're Lord. I mean, there's a moment that everything is shifting. Uh, Jesus is like, you're fighting me. You think you're fighting these other things? You think you're fighting Christianity? And he, it's me. And Paul surrenders. What do I have to do? Like, where do I go with this? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things that were appointed for you to do. Since I could not see, Paul says, for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Can I catch that? Again, he's making a connection to the Jews. He's like, hey, this guy, he was devout. He, he, he followed the law, even though he's a follower of Jesus, having a good testimony with all the Jews. I mean, all the Jews there who dwelt there knew him. He came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? 
Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Wow. It's just a good account. I mean, it's a glorious account of how, how Paul comes to see Jesus, you know, finds his forgiveness, finds his sins washed away, finds him believing in Jesus. Lots of really great details in here, but the simple part of it was this is how he came to know Christ, his story. It's not exactly your story. Anybody in here this evening, I think, well, that same thing happened to me. I, I was on the way to Damascus. and No, I'd never had, that's not the way your story unpacked. But there is an account, an account of how you were, and then God got a hold of your life. And so Paul tells that story in a way that helps him to understand how he got where he is. And then he quickly fast forwards. Uh, he quickly fast forwards, talks a little bit about where he is, uh, you know, probably jumping uh, some you know, months, even years into, into this story. And he says it this way. He says, now when, I, when it happened, when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. And that I was, I was in the temple and I, and, I, and I was in a trance. And I saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And Paul argues with them. He's like, but Lord, they know me. They know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. When the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes who are killing him like Jesus they should understand I mean this people should know me I mean I they should hear my story it should resonate but Jesus said to him depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles God's plan was for him to is to be that apostle to the Gentiles and so he has been well the Jews who were there they listened to him until this word that word Gentiles and they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He is not fit to live. And so Paul's story is cut short. So he shares his past, his conversion, his presence, and then it's going to go badly. We'll leave the rest of that story for, for, for next week, but we just want to stop here and see this. I know that this is probably not something that's brand new to you. I just think it's a really good example. One of the things that Jesus is using to make him known in our world is our story, uh, a story of, of our testimony. And I suppose I just want to ask, without asking out loud or asking you to respond, I hope you're sharing that. Like your story, the story of what Jesus is to you, is powerful. It's powerful. I mean, the book of Acts has Paul's testimony in there at least three times, and it's referred to in a couple other spaces, letting us know that sometimes just being able to unpack that, that our story is powerful. It's got authority to it. I mean, who can deny what you personally have experienced? That you would be able to say, can I just tell you what Jesus is to me? Can I tell you how that is worked in my life? I want to just tell you as, a, as an encouragement. That's what Paul brings into this moment that he gets this moment, this, this crystal moment, and we have no idea you know, what God is going to use it for for eternity. Maybe people are radically changed. We know it go very, goes very badly for them. The crowd's kind of... But this is what he's wanted to say. He's wanted to stand right where he stood, there in, in, the, in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and tell people, I want you to understand. I want you to understand the beauty of my Savior. And he does throw through his story. His story's powerful. Your story's powerful. Now, some of you actually have a pretty crazy cool story. 
you know, like you really were like something really, you know, gangster kind of thing and God got a hold of your life and, you know, it's a good story. Like you should tell that story. But I'm talking to some of you this evening and you're kind of like, well, my story's kind of lame, you know. I mean, Paul has this great story. My story seems kind of boring, you know, uh, you know, and I just want to tell you, no, it's not. It's your story. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to change it. It's weird how Christians do this sometimes, that, that some people's Christian testimony becomes like that, you know, fishing story, that the fish, you know, begins this big, and then it's bigger, and then pretty soon, you're like, yeah, I was a mobster. It's like, what you, just, just, just don't add to your story. Don't add to your story. It's your story. I know I'm talking to someone here this evening, you're like, but Jim, my, my story's confusing because I'm not even really sure. I mean, I know I, 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 there's some here this evening, you'd be like, so I grew up in church. And honestly, I'm not exactly sure when I got saved. You know, there were, you know, uh, there were moments that I had these like crystallized moments of Christ and then it would drift. And so was I, was I saved or was, I, was he drawing? I don't even really know. Can I just tell you something? That's your story. Tell it. You can tell people, it's like, hey, I grew up in church. I don't even know when it really happened. I had these moments with Jesus, but here's what I know. I've come to the place that I know that, that Jesus died for me, that he's washed away my sins. I mean, you can communicate it as Paul does in language that they would uh, you know, understand, but it's your story. And if it sounds boring, it's really not. There's power in saying, hey, this is what I was, and Jesus made himself known to me. And here's what I'm doing with that. Here's how I'm living my life now. I mean, that's kind of what Paul fast forwards to. Now, it stops. Now, maybe that was all he was going to share. I kind of have a sense that if he had been given more time, he might have continued the story and did what he had already done uh, with the, the, the Jews, there, the, the leaders, and he might have began unpacking some of the incredible things that God had been doing, you know, the incredible things that God had been doing among Gentiles. That's just my guess, but it stops. It's still his story. And I just want to encourage you right now, that's powerful. I hope you share it regularly. If you don't, then can I just take this moment, if you're going to take anything from this evening, you should. You should. Don't, don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be embarrassed if you feel like your story is less than other people's story. There's reality to it that, that gives people a window into the reality of Christ and, and your ability to unpack that and tell people, hey, here's where I was. Here's what Jesus did. Here's who I am. Uh, not in a way that glorifies you, not in a way that makes, you know, glorifies either your sin or, or your work. I mean, the testimony is really the story. He's dead. He is, is one of the ways that are doing that side story. It's, a, it's God's doing. We speak that we could share. To share. If you and I did that this week, I mean, I just want to talk, give that opportunity and, and speak their language to them for a little bit. Like, what's your life looking like? Speak in three minutes. That, this isn't a long account. This isn't Paul going on for an hour. He just unpacked very quickly what God had did, what God had done in his life. What if you did that? What if you would, what if you would say, God, I would like to be a part of you continuing this witness to the world. I just want to give it to you as an encouragement. I just want to give you an encouragement because God is still doing this. Well, we're going to kind of end there this evening and We'll pick it up next week when kind of what happens to Paul after this event. But as we kind of wind this down, I would be remiss if I didn't just say it as clear as I can. You know, for those here in this room, online, in the overflow, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, this is what Jesus is doing. He is longing to communicate the goodness of Christ to you through us. We hope you see it. Uh, we hope we can tell you what God has done in us in a way that we can tell you he's still doing this. 
that this is an, an incredible account of a, of a life that was changed by Jesus. But he's still doing it. He's still doing it. This room is marked with people that that still happened with. And if that's you this evening, we are just wanting to invite you. If you're watching online right now and you've just tuned in, we're just telling you God still does this. He is still in the business of taking people out of death into life to finding what Paul found, which was the forgiveness of his sins, which was life in Christ and, and, and purpose and, and, and the family of God. And we're just telling you he still does that. And so if that's you this evening, we're just inviting you to Jesus and inviting you today to hear the goodness of what that is and be drawn to it. Well, with that, let's close our Bibles. Let's ask that God would make that known in, on, and through us, and just grateful that He is. God, thank You that You are in the business of saving, that Jesus, You said that You are building Your church, and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. God, thank You for giving us even a reminder of how that was happening here in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. God, I know it's not there just for history. I know it is a reminder of this is what you do. Help us to do this. Help us to talk about you, to be excited about you. Help us to seek for those opportunities. And Lord, help your people share their story. Help us share our story. Lord, if this week you would give us that opportunity, a space that we would be able to say, can I tell you what Jesus has meant to me? Can I tell you what he did in my life? God, would you give us that space and help us to walk in it and would you draw people to Christ through our lives? We ask for that now. In Jesus' name.